0: To Dr. Benjamin Rush, with a syllabus, Washington, April 21st, 1803. Dear Sir, in some of the delightful conversations with you in the evenings of 1798 and 99, and which served as an anodyne to the afflictions of the crisis through which our country was then laboring, the Christian religion was sometimes our topic, and I then promised you that one day or other I would give you my views of it. They are the result of a life of inquiry and reflection, and very different from that anti-Christian system imputed to me by those who know nothing of my opinions. To the corruptions of Christianity I am indeed opposed, but not to the genuine precepts of Jesus himself. I am a Christian, in the only sense he wished anyone to be, sincerely attached to his doctrines in preference to all others, ascribing to himself every human excellence, and believing he never claimed any other. At the short intervals since these conversations, when I could justifiably abstract my mind from public affairs, the subject has been under my contemplation. But the more I considered it, the more it expanded beyond the measure of either my time or information. In the moment of my late departure from Monticello, I received from Dr. Priestley his little treatise of Socrates and Jesus Compared. This being a section of the general view I had taken of the field, it became a subject of reflection while on the road and unoccupied otherwise. The result was to arrange in my mind a syllabus or outline of such an estimate of the comparative merits of Christianity, as I wished to see executed by someone of more leisure and information for the task than myself. This I now send you as the only discharge of my promise I can probably ever execute. And in confiding it to you, I know it will not be exposed to the malignant perversions of those who make every word from me a text for new misrepresentations and calumnies. I am moreover averse to the communication of my religious tenets to the public, because it would countenance the presumption of those who have endeavored to draw them before that tribunal and to seduce public opinion to erect itself into that inquisition over the rights of conscience which the laws have so justly prescribed. It behooves every man who values liberty of conscience for himself to resist invasions of it in the case of others, or their case may, by change of circumstance, become his own. It behooves him, too, in his own case, to give no example of concession, betraying the common right of independent opinion by answering questions of faith, which the laws have left between God and himself accept my affectionate salutations. Thomas Jefferson. Enclosed, A syllabus of an estimate of the merit of the doctrines of Jesus compared with those of others. April 1803. In a comparative view of the ethics of the enlightened nations of antiquity, of the Jews, and of Jesus, no notice should be taken of the corruptions of reason among the ancients, to wit, the idolatry and superstition of the Volga, nor of the corruptions of Christianity, by the learned among its professors. Let a just view be taken of the moral principles inculcated by the most esteemed of the sects of ancient philosophy, or of their individuals, particularly Pythagoras, Socrates, Epicurus, Cicero, Epictetus, Seneca, Antonius. 1. Philosophers, 1. Their precepts related chiefly to ourselves and the government of those passions which, unrestrained, would disturb our tranquility of mind. In this branch of philosophy they were really great. 2. In developing our duties to others, they were short and defective. They embraced indeed the circles of kindred and friends and inculcated patriotism or the love of our country in the aggregate as a primary obligation. Toward our neighbors and countrymen they taught justice, but scarcely viewed them as within the circle of benevolence. Still less have they inculcated peace, charity, and love to our fellow men, or embraced with benevolence the whole family of mankind. 2. Jews. 1. Their system was deism, that is, the belief Of one only God, but their ideas of Him and of His attributes were degrading and injurious. 2. Their ethics were not only imperfect, but often irreconcilable with the sound dictates of reason and morality, as they respect intercourse with those around us, and repulsive and antisocial as respecting other nations. They needed reformation, therefore, in an eminent degree. 3. Jesus Himself. In this state of things among the Jews, Jesus appeared. His parentage was obscure, his condition poor, his education null, his natural endowments great, his life correct and innocent. He was meek, benevolent, patient, firm, disinterested, and of the sublimest eloquence. The disadvantages under which his doctrines appear are remarkable. One, like Socrates and Epictetus, he wrote nothing himself. Two, but he had not, like them, a Xenophon or an Arian to write for him. On the contrary, all the learned of his country, entrenched in its power and riches, were opposed to him, lest his labors should undermine their advantages, and the committing to writing his life and doctrines fell on the most unlettered and ignorant men, who wrote too, from memory, and not till long after the transactions had passed. 3. According to the ordinary fate of those who attempt to enlighten and reform mankind, he fell an early victim to the jealousy and combination of the altar and the throne, at about thirty-three years of age his reason having not yet attained the maximum of its energy, nor the course of his preaching, which was but of three years at most, presented occasions for developing a complete system of morals. Fourth, hence the doctrines which he really delivered were defective as a whole, and fragments only of what he did deliver have come to us mutilated, misstated, and often unintelligible. 5. They have been still more disfigured by the corruption of schismatizing followers who have found an interest in sophisticating and perverting the simple doctrines he taught by engrafting on them the mysticisms of a Grecian sophist, frettering them into subtleties and obscuring them with jargon until they have caused good men to reject the whole in disgust and to view Jesus himself as an impostor. Notwithstanding these disadvantages, a system of morals is presented to us, which, if filled up in the true style and spirit of the rich fragments he left us, would be the most perfect and sublime that has ever been taught by man. The question of his being a member of the Godhead, or in direct communication with it, claimed for him by some of his followers and denied by others, is foreign to the present view which is merely an estimate of the intrinsic merit of his doctrines. One, he corrected the deism of the Jews, confirming them in their belief of one only God and giving them juster notions of his attributes and government. Two, his moral doctrines relating to kindred and friends were more pure and perfect than those of the most correct of the philosophers and greatly more so than those of the Jews, And they went far beyond both in inculcating universal philanthropy, not only to kindred and friends, to neighbors and countrymen, but to all mankind, gathering all into one family under the bonds of love, charity, peace, common wants and common aids. A development of this head will evince the peculiar superiority of the system of Jesus over all others. 3. The precepts of philosophy and of the Hebrew code laid hold of actions only. He pushed his scrutinies into the heart of man, erected his tribunal in the region of his thoughts, and purified the waters at the fountainhead. 4. He taught emphatically the doctrines of a future state, which was either doubted or disbelieved by the Jews and wielded it with efficacy as an important incentive supplementary to the other motives to moral conduct. End of the syllabus inserted as an addendum in my letter to Dr. Benjamin Rush, Washington City, April 21st, 1803.